Welcome back to the Leverage Podcast. I'm your co-host Ari Mizell, and I'm Nick Sonnenberg. And today we're in studio with Peter Shankman, who is an entrepreneur, advisor, skydiving enthusiast, <laughs> and close to my heart as a founder of Harrow, Help a Reporter Out. And I would say that because it's something that's been really, really resourceful for me for many years, and it's just an honor to be here in studio with you. So thank you. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. So. Let's go back before that. Before Harrow, what were you doing at that point, before you had that idea? Oh, my God. Um, I'm 45 years old now, so I, this is, I'm old. I don't remember back then. No, I, was, uh, I started my career at America Online. I was one of the founders yeah. of the AOL Newsroom um, <laughs> back when AOL was the internet. Yeah. And, I mean, I had Peter at AOL.com. I thought I was the shit. I wasn't. <laughs> but, yeah, I was uh, back then, and I, I sort of helped, uh, you know, we helped launch AOL News. And, um when I left there about three years later, I moved back to New York, and I figured, okay, the dot-com boom is starting. Let's start a PR firm that caters to that. And I ran a PR firm for three years that I started in my apartment, built it to, like, 15 employees, sold it, and decided, to, you know, I'll consult. I'll take a vacation. I'll take a year off. I, I lasted about two days. I got bored. And I started consulting. I was consulting and working with different startups and, and working. I was traveling a lot. Nothing compared to what I travel now, but I was traveling a lot, and I talk to everyone. I mean, I have massive ADHD. I just talk to everyone. Unless, So if I'm on a plane and you're next to me, and unless you fake your death, I'm going to know everything about you by the time <laughs> we land. Only two people have ever done that. But um, <laughs> So, you know, I just talk to everyone. I have a Rolodex the size of Queens, and, you know, people would be like, dude, I'm writing a story for the Journal or the Times, or you know everyone. I need an expert who knows about X, Y, Z. And over time, that just started taking up a lot of my time. Like my day, I reporter call me. I'm doing a story on Nigerian farming. And a friend of mine told me that you have a lot of friends who are sub-Saharan. So I found, a, like, 12 hours later, a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend knew someone at USC, right? I'm like, this is ridiculous. This is just taking my life. So I made a little email newsletter. A little, It wasn't even that. It was a Facebook group at the time. And it was a Facebook group that, uh, this was back when, when you could have Facebook send emails to everyone in your group anytime you'd post something. And mm-hmm. it was like, great. It was like a free email service. And so anytime we had a query, I to the group. And they capped the number of people you could have in the group at 1,500. And I, I remember I launched the group with, like, 200 people, and we had 1,500 by, like, I launched it on Monday, we had 1,500 by Friday. I'm like, all right. So I moved it over to a Facebook group, or to, uh, to an email newsletter. And it was originally just me sending out queries when I got them. And within a month or two, I had to create an actual schedule. And we were getting about 100 queries a day, sometimes more, sometimes less. So I started sending out three emails a day. At the time, I guess about 10,000 people. What year was this? This was mid-2007. By the end of 2007, we had 25,000 people. And by the end of 2009, we had a quarter. Receiving three emails a day from me. Now, here's the kicker. It was, there were three emails a day, all double opt-in emails, you know, so no spam, with upwards of a 79% open rate three times. I don't care what I build for the rest of my life. I will never come close to that. I mean, that was email, that was email crack. That was email crack because the day you didn't open it, there was a reporter from the journal doing a story Always. on your industry, yep. and you missed out on everyone else. So, so it literally, yeah, you had no choice. Um, yeah, got very lucky with it. And the thing that I was, and I realized every email for like three years came from peter at shankman.com, which is still my email today, mm-hmm. right? Like I was sending out something like 1.5 million opt-in emails a day, double opt-in emails a day by the time I sold it from my personal email address. But the cool thing was when you had a question, you just replied to me. I spent 95% of my day answering email. I did that a few times. Yeah, <laughs> but I did it, and I replied, and... And that's what's so funny because when the company sold, I'm not, a, I'm not an MBA. I had no idea how much that company was worth. And it sold. And the first offer the company made me was like some ridiculously high offer. I'm like, 
well, you know, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to think about that. And I hung up the phone like, holy fuck, you know. <laughs> and um, what I realized later was that they, they, they had interviewed our members and they talked to like 100 or 200 of our men. Like, oh, yeah, we love Peter. We talk to him all the time. Any questions we have, this is the best service ever. I created these sort of zombie loyalists, these people who were just totally addicted and, 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 and really felt invested. You know, they had a question. I answered it. Or I, I did something they suggested. Oh, my God, they did this. You know, they became, they took a bullet for the, for the company. And so, yeah, that's real revenue. That's real money that, you, you know, that, that, that customer experience can translate into. The fact that you were so closely tied to answering questions and you were the face of this, did that make it difficult at all, though, to sell? Because then who's going? somebody with ADHD. Actually, yeah, it, it didn't. It didn't because the second I, when I knew I was going to sell it, I started when we announced we were selling it, I did like a whole three-month campaign where I'm like, guys, look, I'm not everything that I know. I'm going to teach the people who are running it. It's still going to be, the, and it still is. And, you know, it's a corporate entity now. It's owned by Peter Newswire. The irony being that they were the ones who tried to sue me for like, they had a, a service called ProfNet, which they charged for. And they're like, you're stealing our queries. I'm like, if a reporter sends me the same queries they send you, I'm not stealing your queries. You could technically be, shit, ProfNet, you're stealing my queries. Stop it. You know, didn't find that funny. But um, <laughs> fast forward, like I was acquired by Vocus, Vocus acquired by Cision, Cision and Vocus were merged into Peer News with. Bitch, you could have had me for like a steak and a martini had you been nice, you know? Right. So, but yeah, it's it's like, it's been seven years since I left, five years since I left out of two-year earnout, and the service still runs. You know, at the end of the day, is it a little less personalized than I had it? Of course it is. It's a business. You know, it's a corporation now, but, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's going to change. No, it's not. I'm sending out emails. At the end of the day, it's queries. It's not going to change. You'll still get exactly. The most incredible thing to me is that the revenue comes from a text ad Dude, I'm telling you, know, stop, re- stop overthinking the future, man. It's a waste of, you know, shit, shit works, do it. Do what works, keep doing what works, and you'll be amazed at how well it works. You know, it literally was a three-line text ad in yeah. each email, and I don't know what they go for now, but I was selling it for 1500 bucks an email. And so that's 4500 bucks a day, five days a week, four weeks a year, four weeks a month, 50 weeks a year. Oh, that's pretty, pretty incredible. Insane. Yeah, I mean, and again, it's a text ad. I mean, you know, with the link. I mean, yeah. it's incredible. And then, not to mention, they actually were were, were relevant ads. That well, was that's the other the thing, thing. Because they all every everyone who advertised had to go through me, and I yeah. turned a. You know, I looked at the products, and my my apartment was like was just full of. I had a two bedroom apartment, and every single nook was taken up by like. We want to send you one of our. I'm like, I had more books. I had more. We we have something for stables for horse stables. We'd like that. I'm like, no, don't send me anything for a horse. I live in Midtown Manhattan. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was it was just an amazing experience. Yeah. So and 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 not for nothing, but I have conservatively I've gotten sixty pieces of uh, press from Harold over the last it. years. And the thing is, one would have been worth it. But yeah. I mean, I've gotten sixty. And well, that's the thing. You know, people would bitch. Oh, it didn't come out on time. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Let me refund you. You're free. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I know. And that's what I mean. You found such a need and a market for it. It's just, it's, it, was, it was art, honestly. Thank so. you. Yeah, good times. I got lucky. Uh, I would love to pick your brain on, on ADD. I mean, you, you've mentioned you're 45. I'm 33. And only recently I realized that going through school as a kid, I struggled with some things. And looking back at it, it's clear because I had ADD and they're just it wasn't really that popular back then. So how was going through school for you? <laughs> at what age did you realize you had ADD? How do you, how do you deal with it? When I was growing up, it wasn't ADD. It was sit down and disrupt yeah. my class disease. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> well, for me, it was like... I was in, like, the first percentile in reading comprehension. They thought I was so, so learning disabled. I had to well, go that, through special reading classes. It was just – I was just daydreaming while I was reading. See, so I, I was finished opposite. Page. I was reading at college level from second grade, but I could do no math. I could do oh, no math. So we're opposites. Yeah. I could but do all the math but not the reading. It's what excited me. Reading excited me. Math did not. And, mm-hmm. and, and look, ADHD, 
All it is is the inability for your body to create dopamine, serotonin, and adrenaline at the same levels that normal people create, right? So you, if a cat is born without one leg, it's going to compensate and learn how to walk on three. We learn how to compensate. We, we learn how to compensate our lack of um, those chemicals, which allow us to focus and do things like that in other ways. The downside, though, is that we are now in a society where, you know, if the five-year-old is a little different and not sleeping during nap time, we pump them up with Ritalin and pump them up with that oil. And I'm not anti-drug, but I'm also not pro-drug in terms of it's not a first line of defense, last line of defense. And the problem is, is that when you're teaching 35 students and two of them act differently, you can't change the other 33 or change what you teach the other 33. You have to fix those two. And we're doing it in a negative way. We're overdiagnosing. Um, when, like I said, when I was growing up, it was sit down and in the class. So I learned how to handle myself. And it wasn't until I got diagnosed in my 30s that I realized, holy shit, what I've been doing all my life is is self-medicating, but in a positive way. You know, I'm, I did a 5K and that wasn't anywhere near enough, so I did an Ironman. You know, it's a stupid shit like that. And if we could slow down and explain to parents, it's, you know, it's like, hey, your kid's acting out, get him tested for ADHD. Hey, he has ADHD, put him on, on, on Ritalin. Well, maybe the six-year-old first grader is acting out. Maybe instead of putting him on Ritalin right away, maybe you change from feeding him three bowls of uh, chocolate frosted sugar bombs for breakfast and give him a couple of eggs, you know, some protein. And then instead of sitting in front of the television till the bus picks him up, let him run around for a half an hour out in the backyard or outside or whatever or before school and exercise and you'll be amazed at what happens. There's a study out in Texas where they took a school district and they, they changed recess from a half an hour a day to two hours a day in half an hour blocks. And 57% of ADHD girls who tend to not speak up and not talk and not get involved in the class were 64% more active. Mm. So it is mind-blowing what happens if you just do basic stuff instead of throwing them on meds. For me, like I said, I didn't. Get, I have a prescription for Concerta. I take it maybe once a month. I call it my uh, expense report medication where my assistant says, Peter, if you don't do the expense reports by noon today, the client is not going to pay you. <laughs> Fine. If you don't sit down, I get the shit done. But other than that, I've written five books. Two of them are bestsellers. One comes out in the fall. They've all been written on airplanes. I t- I had six months to write Zombie Loyalist, my last bestseller. I did all the research the first month and then did nothing. The publisher, two weeks has it going. I'm like, ah, oh, it's going great. I hadn't done anything. I booked a, f- a full, flare, full fare business class ticket the next morning to Tokyo. Got on the plane carrying my laptop, power cord, and headphones. I wrote chapters one through five on the flight to Tokyo, landed in Tokyo, went through immigration, went outside, took a breath of fresh air, went back through immigration, went to the lounge, took a cup of coffee, took a shower, got back on the same plane, same seat, two hours later, wrote chapters six through ten on the flight home, landed 31 hours later with a book. What? Dude, I have two speeds. I have namaste and I'll cut a bitch. That's it. I don't have a middle ground. Right? So, you know, oh, write one page a night. You'll be fine in six months. No, I won't. I won't. That's not how I do it. And so, and Cal Norris wrote about that in uh, in his book, Deep Work. He, he yeah. actually interviewed me about that, about how I, and I'm, so on Wednesday, I'm getting on a plane to go to Hong Kong again. My daughter is uh, with my parents for the week. They're in Mexico. Um, my ex is out of town. I'm getting out of here. I'm taking a plane ostensibly for dinner with a friend, but I also have three book proposals I want to write, and that's going to be my flight. And it is worth... Well, I guess in 15 and a half hours, you can knock out half the book on... Well, the key is to write three book proposals on the way out, and then on the way back, and in the hotel, figure out which proposal I like the best, and on the way back, write, dude, you spent $6,000 to go nowhere. No, I spent $6,000 to write a bestseller. That's the way I work. And for me, that is money perfectly well spent. But you were always traveling. I mean, from, just from reading. Yeah, like, I travel a lot. You were always traveling a lot. Why, and, though? And, uh, I give corporate speeches. I give keynotes uh-huh. on the customer economy, on social economy, and things like that, now on ADHD. But again, that's, you know, not even realizing it. Why do I like travel so much? I guess I just like to fly. No, that's your happy place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I was self-medicating by getting in the air. When I'm in the air and I have 15 hours on a plane and no internet. I mean, I have, I, there's internet on planes now, but I fly United, so there really isn't. It's like I, I know exactly what I'm going to do. 
It's cheaper, cheaper than renting an office in New York. It's cheaper than renting an office. I, ha- I have an office, but you know what that office has? An office has fast internet. Uh-huh. Right? I have an apartment. I have a gorgeous two-bedroom. You know what that has? It has a four-year-old and a cat. I'm screwed. So where am I going to go? I'm on a plane. The only thing I do, I get up every two hours. I go to the bathroom. I drop for 10 push-ups, and I get back in my chair. Pills now once a month uh, on the expense days. I tried at 30 or 29 for the first time taking Adderall after probably needing it for yep. 12, 15 years. And it's so addictive. And ah. I, I, it was literally, I, I felt like my brain wasn't functioning yep. days that I didn't take it. Right. I couldn't get off of it for a year. I was a high-frequency trader. So <laughs> I was Christ. I was taking yeah. that. So by Adderall, you mean cocaine or do you I mean, mean actual Adderall? That, well, I mean, that with the six shots of espresso <laughs> yes. is the, is yes, the yes, speedball, yes, yes, really. And the 16 uh, screens. Uh, yeah, and I had 16 screens. But I honestly felt, felt like I was a worse trader on it. And I said to Ari, like, if I needed to write a book, for me, like, I'm not a writer or, a, you know, math is my thing. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I needed to read, that would that would be great. Yeah. But for me, like, math is my thing. So actually, when I was taking it, it was stunting my creativity. I so I wasn't able to come up with great trading strategies or algorithms. And it took me a year to come off of it. And I was so much more high performing off of it. Now, you know, if you work out, eat right, and have good systems in place. I have really that good systems in place. Key, and that's dude. the key. Like, I get to inbox zero. I have... I have my way of doing things. So even if I get distracted and I open up too many tabs or whatever, which I'm pretty bad with tabs, it's still part of my system. So nothing ever gets lost or not done. So here's some of my uh, tricks and hacks. And and this this is the basis of what caused me to start the podcast, which is now the number one podcast on iTunes for ADHD. But again, it came out of that idea of, hey, I have an idea. Let's do it. Okay, done. You know, I, I don't how, – how do you start a company? I don't know how you start a company. I start a company in an hour, yeah. right? That's my ideas, but that's how my brain works. But <laughs> the flip side of that is that what's the line? With great power comes great responsibility. My brain is a Ferrari. If I don't work at it, I have bicycle brakes, and that doesn't work too well. Ned, ha- Ned Hallowell, like the father of ADHD, says that. Um, Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. So I have put systems into place over the past probably 20 years, a lot I didn't know I was doing – and now some very specific that I do, I quit drinking, right? I don't have one drink. I have six drinks. Mm-hmm. And I'm not – it's not because I'm trying to get drunk. It's because there's alcohol in front of me. I drink so it's moderations tequila. for losers. Yeah, I, my shirt says moderations for losers. I, I drink tequila the I'm same a, way I drink water. I literally just had this conversation with someone yesterday. I'm like, I don't drink often. But when but, I drink – But when I drink, I drink. And I, everything like that. Like when I got into online poker, it wasn't that I could play <laughs> two hours a week. I literally skipped every class in college and I was – playing 50 hours well, you, a week of online poker. You, now you play eight hours of chess. And, like, this weekend I played 15 hours of, high, of um, speed chess in Washington Square Park. Like, <laughs> one of those guys, okay. But here's the thing. Here's the thing about it. You know, some of those things are good. Some of those things are bad. You have to know yourself, and if you can't be honest with yourself about, call them what you want, call them addictions, call them quirks. You know, I, like I said, I quit drinking for a reason. I, I wasn't doing stupid shit. I wasn't going out and getting drunk or driving. I wasn't pillaging villages. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing anything like that. I wasn't wasting money. What I was doing was... Going out, having six, seven, eight drinks, happy, in a good place. Dopamine was a wash. I was flowing. The next morning, I wouldn't be hungover, but I wouldn't be as clear as I wanted. I'd be, mm. oh, you know, I'm not going to get up and go work out. I'll just, you know, let me, well, since I'm not working out, I might as well order breakfast. Let me order some grilled cheese and bacon tomato sandwiches. Okay, let's do that. Well, fine, it's noon already. I've done three of those. I might as well order a pizza. Okay, it's about 4 o'clock. I might as well order a drink. All of a sudden, that's a two-week cheat day. Mm-hmm. Right? That doesn't work well. And so for me, remember the movie War Games probably came out before both of you were born? Oh, no. <laughs> the great line, great line, the last line, the computer learns how to prevent nuclear war. The only winning move is not to play. Mm-hmm. I don't play. And, and do I miss it? Sure. You know, but on the flip side, if I do that, that act will screw up the rest of my rules and rituals, which I have for myself. I am up every morning at 4 a.m. 
Um, I have a lighting system. I have Sylvania lights in my apartment that go on automatically. They start coming up at 3.50, and by 4 a.m., they're up. I have and, the Phillips wake-up lamp yeah. that does something. Similar. And I'm awake. And at 4 a.m., I get up. Um, I sleep in my gym clothes. I sleep in a T-shirt and running shorts or whatever, bike shorts or whatever, and, and socks. And I put on my shoes the second I'm out of bed. It's hard to go back to bed after 10 seconds if you put on your shoes and socks. I drink an entire liter of water the second I wake up. Even if I do fall back asleep, I'm stand, not staying asleep long. Um, I'm out the door and on my way to the gym within five minutes. And if that, two minutes. Everything's packed the night before, my clothes, everything. I have a 5.30 trainer who I see three days. I have a daughter um, who I have half the week. And the weeks that I don't, on the weekdays I don't have her, I am with my trainer at 5.30 in the morning on the weekday. Or, or I'm in Central Park. I'm running. I'm biking. I'm training for the triathlon. Weeks On days that I do have her, I bought a Peloton bike. And I am on that Peloton bike. I usually do two classes, 4 a.m. and like 5.30 or whatever. She gets up at 7. I've already showered, changed, gotten her lunch made. Every, You know, you have to have these systems. I have, I have a, a – my closet in my bedroom is huge. But I use one quarter of it, and there are two sides. The one side on the left says office – slash travel. The side on the right says speaking slash TV. The office travel is t-shirt and jeans, um, and that's it. The speaking TV is button-down shirt, jacket, and jeans, and that's it. I have sweaters, I have vests, I have gorgeous suits made in Italy, and those are all in my uh, daughter's closet because if I had to look at them every morning and figure out, do I want to wear something different? My God, that sweater. I remember that sweater. Lauren gave me that sweater. I wonder how Laura's doing. I should look her up. It's three hours later. I'm naked. I haven't left the house. I'm on Facebook in the living room. None of this is beneficial. Right? Know yourself. Yeah, for sure. Well, and also, you know, uh, Kathy Colby, you know, she says if, if, uh, if nothing works, then do nothing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it is amazing once you get into, you know, people think you're crazy. First of all, the second my life changed was the second I started realizing that other people's opinions don't pay my mortgage. End of story. Right? Dude, you get up at 5 in the morning, you're in the gym, you're at Central Park running, that's fucking crazy. Cool. Thanks. All right. Rock on. I'll see you. Go to the gym. I got arrested for exercising in Central Park before it opened a couple of years ago. If you Google me, I was, I was running in Central Park at like 4.45. I had to do a 10-miler. I was training for a race. And I'm not, look at me, I'm not fast. Um, cop pulls up to me at 4.45. He's like, what are you doing? Like, Seriously? You exercising? Like, no, I'm giving hand jobs for crack. It's the middle of February. I'm in, you know, <laughs> what do you think of it? Turns out that's like the wrong answer to say to a cop ever. <laughs> but, um... So I went to court. I fought it and I won, but it was just hysterical because I, I call the reporter at the Daily News. I'm like, I'm like, I have a field day for you. He's like, you're gonna love this. A front page of the Daily News the next day it was a photo of me with the summon. It's like no running from this ticket. But you know, <laughs> it doesn't. You do crazy things, but if they work for you, they're not crazy. And that's that's like what I try to get across on this podcast. Because I have kids that listen to this, college kids and high school kids and parents. And they're like, yeah, my son does these different things, but it seems that then let him do it as long as he's not harming what? himself or anyone else, and it works for him and it makes him a better person. Why not? Yeah, I think learning how you operate, whether you have ADD or not, is the, the, Screw the most. Else it's the most important thing. Like in college, like I said, I was addicted to online poker. I skipped every class, but I had a really good system in place, which involved Red Bull and coffee three days before, <laughs> and I had basically like a college partner, my friend Darren. And we would basically just teach each other an entire semester worth of That's math nice. in three days, and we just lock ourselves up with a ton of unhealthy things. But we would just cram, and that worked for us. It probably wouldn't work for a lot of other people, but that worked better for you me than uh, people learning writing, a little bit at a time. People think, you know, I guarantee you most people could not write a book on a plane. Yeah. But, and that's fine. Let them do what they do. You do you, man. I, mean, that's, I, I, I do that. So. Absolutely no issue yeah. with that. <laughs> well, actually, here, before I, I, do, I forget, I, uh, we wanted to give you a gift, our book that we sweet. spent 30 hours thirty hours as well doing. Nice. Well, and, and <laughs> you know, you said you started a company in an hour. We started our company in 24 hours, so. So, yeah, you know. you're, you're still faster than us. but Yeah, <laughs> faster than normal. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yeah, no, I find I, I get so much done on the plane. It's, it's 
it's really great for me. And, you know, for me, so I have four small chits. So I have a five-year-old, two four-year-olds, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So, you know, you talk about the four-year-old and the cat. We have two cats and a dog, too. <laughs> so, um, so my time is like 9 p.m. to 2 a.m. Yeah. And I love and that. And that's awesome. If that works for you, that's awesome. Well, and not only, you know, it's, you talk about what works for you, but, I mean, we have a team in 17 time zones. So there's oh, yeah. always somebody that I can talk to. If I, I was, just, thought, I was just doing an interview this morning with the guys from Empire Flippers, um, and they're out of the Philippines. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, isn't it really? He's like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, no. And I think that's extremely important. Not only you have a system in place, but knowing yourself, obviously, is is very important. So what kind of system do you have in place, like, if you do have a new idea? Like, you walk out of here, and you're like, gosh, I should do this. Yeah. So the first thing I do, um, I tell it to my assistant. She is the only, Megan is the only person in the world who can call me on my bullshit who I listen to. Um, I mean, it's not true. Not the only person, but she's, she's. If she says stop, I stop. Um, or at least I try to explain it to her and try to make her understand. And if she doesn't, I stop. You know, so she's the first one who knows. And then, but yeah, I usually don't waste time. If I have a new idea, I'm like, all right, let's get the domain name. Let's see if we can't get a quick website. I have, I have a bunch of people. I'm lucky in that I have a bunch of people in my life who do the things that I don't know how to do. And I pay them handsomely to do that, to code for me, to handle marketing for me. I launched a, a Master of the Media course last week on how to get better press. And... I launched it. My logic was like, oh, I'll just I'll create the course and I'll just put it out there. And I have a wonderful person named Esme, and she said, no, you won't. You will not write anything. You will um, write the landing page and explain. To, and over the next six weeks, you're going to send out. You're going to do two Facebook lives every week talking about media, and you're going to get people. And and then you're going to send emails to your list, and anyone who clicks on the link that says, hey, and I did a Facebook live, feel free to check it out. They're going to get segmented into a group, and then we'll pitch them first. And da da da. And P.S. I, I launched it as a what I call the founders group, which was those people who join first before I write the course will have access to help me build it. Like they'll, they can give me questions. Da, 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 da. I sold 200 courses in three days in a pre-launch without having built anything yet. So I know there are better ways to do things. I don't know. I, I know that I'm not the answer to the everything and I don't have the answer to everything. So I'm, I'm very smart to listen to other people. I think it's probably my best gift is that I can listen to other people. But I am blessed with the ability to just come up with stuff. Hey, let's try this yeah. and see what happens, right? And you know, if you do that enough, you're going to succeed. And then when you succeed, that gives you a little runway. Now I have a little money in the bank. Okay, I can try this and put a little money behind it. If it fails, okay, that's Tuesday. I can try again. You know, and I'm very fortunate that I got there. It's like it's like play poker. You win a little, you play a little more, you play a little, you start upping the end, and eventually you have enough. You have a pot where you're not worried about putting mm-hmm. in money on big hands. Um, I have no idea because I don't play poker. But I well, mean, as long as you have good systems in place, yeah. like then you can have as many ideas as you want because exactly. you can capture it and not have it mentally clutter you. That's kind of why we built the virtual assistants that we have, kind of the antidote to ADD in, in a way because you have these ideas, you need to be doing a lot of yep. things. And instead of just putting it in a notebook, you're putting it in a note, a place to capture it and then someone else is doing it. So it's like the ultimate. I think that's the other reason why I hire outside and why I have Megan and things like that is that I know what I'm good at. I know mm-hmm. what I'm, I really know what I'm good at. I'm really good at it. And I know what I suck at. And, you know, and if you don't know yourself and know it, that's just why I sold heroin when I sold it as opposed to keeping I didn't want to manage people. I suck at that. It's not my thing. What are you really good people. at? I am really good at coming up with ideas. I'm really good with putting them down and starting to do them and getting feedback and, cre- and creating a, uh, a picture of what I want to build and sharing that with people and getting them to want to be a part of it. When it comes to the mechanics of it, I need help sometimes. And so that's why I bring people in who are better at that than I am. And I, I, I will gladly pay them. And I think the other thing that helps me tremendously is I don't fear failure. I welcome failure. I look at failure as like I've either, I've either succeeded or I've learned. There is no failure. There's succeeding or there's learning. It'd be interesting to do a project one day together if we can come up with a good one because, yeah. you know, we kind of have that, that skill set on the execution side and the mechanics. I, I joke that I need people who are the OCD to my ADD. 
It's 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 really that simple. You know, Megan, um, she when she she works, she lives in in Massachusetts now. But when she worked lived in New York, she lived right near here. Actually, I never visited her, but she worked in New York, and uh, she would come to my apartment every day and work out of my apartment on the second bedroom. And when I would get pissed, like when back in the day when I was ringing her, or whatever, they, you know, Gawker would just rip me to shit and all that stuff all the time. And I'd be these terrible articles about me, and and um, she was in the office where the internet router was, where the DSL line was, and. I'd be, she'd hear me typing angrily. She called it typing with purpose, right? And I'd click send and it wouldn't work. And it's because she would have heard that I was angry and trying, and I'm responding without thinking and would disconnect the router. And say, why the fuck? Damn, damn things won't work. <laughs> she goes, well, why don't you get a cup of coffee? I'll, I'll go check it out. And she'd plug it back in and she's like, okay, it works now. Um, do you really want to send what you were looking at? Why don't you read it again? Yeah, no, I should probably rewrite that. And she saved me like a handful of times. She knew what my triggers were. She knew what worked for me and what didn't work and, and took those appropriate measures. And how do you find and vet those kind of people? Maybe not her specifically, but I you have I always knew. Them, Megan yeah. I got really lucky with. Um, I mean, I've had her for nine years. I, I will I will keep her until the end of time. How old is she? 30-something? Two, I think? 33? 35? I don't know. It's a millennial. Yeah. Younger than me. And it's, it's funny because I'll, I'll be I'll come in, Megan, I heard this amazing song at the gym. Listen to this. You ever heard it? She's like, yeah, I heard it when it came out three years ago. I'm like, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but... I think that the key, the key to vetting people is finding people who are good at what you're not good at and, and understanding that you don't have to be best friends with them, but they need to understand you. You're going to be best friends with them. Like, Megan, I consider her, like, I, she's my emergency contact, right? I don't want some 22-year-old stoner kid calling my parents if, if I die skydiving. I want Megan doing it, you know? So she's important. But, you know, other people, it's like, hey, if you can prove to me that you can do the job, prove to me that you're on time, prove to me that you can handle the basics, and, and I'll, I'll keep hiring you. And... um. The skydiving makes sense to me, but how did – I mean, you've done over 1,000 jumps or something? Or? I have just over 500. Oh, okay. All right. So have you ever been an iFly by any chance? Yeah. Yeah. So is it just the adrenaline rush or it just, like, resets you? Like, what, what? – It's a reboot. It's control-alt-delete. Yeah. Um, when, when I exit the plane, it is actually the most controlled environment in the world because there are literally only two things that will happen. I will live or I will die. That's it. There is no middle ground there. I won't kind of die. Right, I won't maybe live. I will. The parachute will open. It won't open, or it'll open with a with a, um, a malfunction, which I can clear or not clear. There's really nothing else. That during those four moments, I'm I'm free, man. I am I am I am the freest you'll ever imagine. And so, when I exit that plane, the first thing I do is take this incredibly deep breath. Like literally, the first two to three seconds out of the plane, I take this incredible breath of like the the cleanest, coldest air you'll ever have in your life. Because there's no point in worrying anymore. I'm out of the plane. I can't go back into it. So if I only have 45 seconds or a minute before nothing works anymore and I'm dead, I'm not going to spend it worrying. It's the most peaceful I've ever been. It's the most peaceful I ever will be. It's incredible. And I joke that if I know that my parachute's not going to open, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to aim for the most expensive car in the drop zone. <laughs> but I'm also going to take off my shoe. I'm going to shove it down my fly suit. And that won't actually save me but it's going to confuse the fuck of whoever finds me. What was he trying to say? <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> how, how often do you go? Uh, when I, I go as much as I can. With a kid now, it's not, it's, not, it's not harder to go because I have a kid and I'm like, oh, I'm afraid of – it's hard to go because I have a kid, right? And she's four years old. I can't just tie her up to a tree and then go jump and come back and pick her up. I have to, you know. So I try to go – I've been a few times this summer. Sometimes I'll just go up to the drop zone and hang out there. Just lying on my back, watching the canopies open and watching everyone else land, is, sometimes it's good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to go more. I never get enough time. And the funny thing is, when I sold Harrow, I'm like, sweet, I can finally go now. I have all this time in the world. I have less free time now than I had running 
It's amazing how that works. A guy at my gym um, is an avid uh, skydiver, and the parachute malfunctioned, mm-hmm. and he, he survived, but it didn't open. Like he, it got caught in trees, unopened, and he broke like every bone in his body, and he still goes now. There is. I'm willing to well, bet. It's probably not going to happen again. I'm willing to bet that there is a that, that is actually 100 percent not what happened. Um, it's 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 parachute. Stories like that, it's like the game Telephone, mm. right? Where you start off with, I like you, and it goes into, we're invading Russia. Like, it's just, it's, it's, everyone who has a parachute story has, you know, the second, no shit, there I was, right? And it's just like <laughs> this. Um, I mean, I've had, I could say, I wrote a blog post called, I nearly died the other day. And it was true because my parachute opened, but it had a, uh, this is like two years ago, it had a, um, it didn't catch the air. So it opened and it, it was open, but oh, wow. it didn't fully open, right? So, it took seven seconds. I thought, well, that seven seconds was an extra 1,200 feet that I shouldn't have been fucking around with. But it was, you know, I nearly died. I decided, well, de- technically, every time you skydive, you nearly die, asshole. You know, you, it's like, that's the whole point of skydiving. But, yeah, the, 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 I have friends that have had malfunctions. And, I mean, knock on wood, I've never had a, um, I've never had a, a, a mal. But, but you prep for it. I mean, every jump, I, don't, I put on my rig. I could be on the ground. I put on my rig. I feel my release. I feel my reserve. My cutaway handle, my reserve handle. I feel it all, and I know exactly what and that's what you train for. Um, I'm sure cyclists, motorcyclists, whatever, do the same thing, you know. But, um, yeah, for me, it's just, it is it is a wonderful release. And um, But then, you know, so is the gym, and so is, they all have their own, their pluses and minuses. Have you ever tried float tanks? Yeah, I have. That. Really? I've tried yes. float tanks. I've mined. Oh There's one in Brooklyn. Um, yes. Megan, it's funny enough. Megan actually bought me a gift certificate to that. Let my last Brittany one. just bought me a gift certificate. Really? No. There's, there's one right by you, though, I went to in really? town. Yeah, I... Uh, when I was in Amsterdam, I did a float tank, and that's when I came up with that intercom thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really, f- yeah, it, wonderful. It's it's really it's tough for me to stay for well, that's for forty five minutes. That's why I love skydiving so much because in three minutes I get that same level of creativity. Yeah. I will land, and I am so awash with dopamine serotonin that I will sit down. I bring my laptop. I will take my parachute off, give it to someone to pack. I'll sit down and I will write ten thousand words in five minutes. Yeah, it's great. The first time I did it, I got a pretty bad ADD attack and I started splashing and I got have you ever gotten that salt in your eye yes it's, it's, it's very it's hard pretty, salt. Yeah. I got something better for you so if you like float tanks come with me one day we'll do cryotherapy I've, I've done that I've done cryo I, I have a lifetime membership for those on 57th Street 57th yeah, yeah. They, um, they, I, I'm an influencer for them and I'm, I'm not pitching them because I'm influencer. pitching yeah. them because awesome no I've talked about it before it's great I, oh my god I, I just I just started going to a new place on Bowery and First mm-hmm. and they have in one one location they have the um, Nutri-Drip which is like the IV uh-huh. to get the vitamins they have cryotherapy they have higher dose the red light sauna yeah and then they have some other a couple other things like some special massages and light mm-hmm. therapy things so I've been going there that's cool couple, it's, yeah it's, another it's one of the street. Street. love awesome. it love it love it yeah. great guys there it's crazy. I love it because also the first minute you're like, yeah, this is fine. The second minute it's like starting to get a little antsy, and that last minute is tough. Well, the, <laughs> and the thing that I love is every 15 seconds I do a squat. Yeah, get your head under your head under it. You gotta hold your breath, but yeah, and it's, I, oh, it's well, I was, so the first time I did it, I come out and there's this woman who she said she was 72. She looked incredible, and she was like, "Did you do the dip?" I was like, "No, what do you?" Mean? I was yep. The first time, she's like, "Oh, honey," she's like, "Yeah, <laughs> do the dip." She's like, "I come every week," and she had to get up for your face. And she looked amazing, but I was like, <laughs> my, "I found it to be way different doing it in summer versus winter because yeah. my core body temperature yeah. is so yeah, much sure. higher." So I just did it a few weeks ago, and it was so much easier than when of I did course. it in winter. I had him give me an extra minute because I was like, this is nothing. So I just turn minutes. it down. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the other thing I do. I, so my rule is if you want to pick my brain, I will allow anyone who wants to meet with me to meet with me, but you have to meet with me on my terms. So you can meet with me either for an early run in the park, um, a cryo session, or a Peloton. Pick which one you want. Mm-hmm. And I'll treat. I'll treat. You want to meet with me? Because if you're, if you're willing to go with negative uh, 140 and you're willing to do a, a sweat session or anything like that, that obviously with skydiving or whatever, 
you obviously want to meet with me. Now, the nice thing about it, it, it eliminates 95% of the people that want to meet with me, right? It makes my schedule much easier. And the ones who do, so I was, <laughs> so I was meeting with this woman. I took her to cry. She's like, yeah, I'll check her out. Go. And, you know, you're in the same room and it's a closed tube. So you go into the tube, you take your robe off and you, you know, can't see the other person. The, for whatever reason, I guess the guy running it thought that we were boyfriend-girlfriend or whatever. Cause, so she gets in. I do mine. I put the robe back on. I come out. I say, okay. Or I let her go first. Rather. I'm like, okay, you know, go in. She goes in. She's like, oh, it's free. It's okay. It's time to, you know, time to get it. Here's your robe. And he just gives the robe. The thing beeps a second later. She, he opens the door, right? And so I'm standing there, and here's this woman <laughs> trying to pitch me an idea. Butt-ass naked. I'm like, oh, sorry. Um, I'll listen. You know, <laughs> I'm a lot more attentive. It's very funny. I'm like, she's like, she laughs. She's like, ah, oh, it's okay. But, you know, like, it beats having coffee. <laughs> it's, it's very Coffee funny. looks great. Oh, it was, it's a, such a phenomenal. I love doing it. Yes, it was definitely, it, it was cold. You could definitely say that. Have you ever been to the Russian Bass? By yeah. That's on yeah. 10th Street, yeah. the real one. Yeah. yeah. Gone to those. And I've actually gone, there's, um. If you ever go to Asia, there are phenomenal outdoor baths. He lives um, in Asia. I, I used to live in Tokyo and Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. So in, you know. in Tokyo, Hakone and yep. uh, yep. all those. I, I went to one Ryokan four hours outside of Tokyo. I went to a Ryokan in Kyoto um, with a 120 yeah. degree bath when you like, fucking died. I loved it though. It was great. I did it in the wintertime, so it's snow everywhere. Oh, nice. And you're running from one to the Together, next yeah. completely naked yep. with these people. Um, but I wasn't really embarrassed because I... I felt uh, pretty comfortable in that well, environment. Let me so say, I was just putting the towel on my shoulder and running no, There is no way to look good running naked. I don't care what you look like. I've yet to meet any... Women can sort of pull it off, but Matt, forget it. I'm yeah. running naked. It's just not a, you know, yeah. not a place. At the, at the Rio Con, that's when I had... Uh, they, they served black bear, and I didn't realize until afterwards I was eating bear. <laughs> Did it matter? <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I was like, what is this? And then you couldn't really understand what they were saying. And then you saw uh, the mom in the cage outside. That's funny. Oh, oh God. God. <laughs> so That's Interesting. Uh, definitely got off track. Uh, all right. So, hey, look, You're a squirrel. Right, yeah, right. <laughs> so you have your morning routine. So you have a night routine. Um, so on the nights I have my daughter, uh, she goes down at 8 o'clock. I'm religious about putting her down on time. Um, she falls. Thank God she falls asleep instantaneously almost. I read her story. Give her a kiss, put her to sleep. If she's out by 8.15, I'm out by 8.45. Hmm. Um, the biggest thing when I made this life change a few years ago and I quit drinking and all that was like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss so much. I'm going to miss all this networking. I haven't missed shit. I have not missed anything. As a matter of fact, I've already gotten more because now I'm out of the gym by a quarter to seven and I can have egg whites and coffee with, with people that matter at 7 a.m. And that's where the real market makers are, you know, that early. And it's great. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So now I, I, my early routine is literally I go to bed. And um, it's funny on the... The few nights a month where I'm not traveling and I don't have my daughter, I'm like, all right, I'm totally free now. I'm going to rage. I'm probably going to bed. You know? nine, yeah, nine <laughs> I'll stay up till nine, you know? <laughs> but it's, it, there's something about being able to get up at 4 a.m. and not be dead, not be exhausted. And, you know, I have friends who, um, I don't know how you get to the gym so early. I don't have the time. Like, well, actually, that's insulting. You have the same amount of time I do. The gym is not a priority. No, it totally is. No, no, it's not. Because I look and you're on Facebook at 1230 at night. And that's not wrong, but... Understand that saying it at the time is wrong. You can do whatever you want. I'm not judging you for what you do, but I'm judging you for the way you say it because it's like when people leave your mastermind, right? I just didn't have the time to participate. No, you totally fucking did. You didn't have, you didn't make it a priority, and that's okay. But please call it what it is because that's insulting the 200 people who do manage to find a priority to do that. Or they don't have the systems in place to have yeah. the time to do these things, exactly. right? But there should be enough time to get everything done yeah. if you prioritize and have the right system. And you know what else I learned, man? I and mean, this is huge. It's like, at the end of the day, 
I can control my reactions. I can't control my the actions of other people. I control my actions to how they how they act. And so I've stopped trying to fix people. Like, oh, you don't know the time? Okay, well, maybe one day you'll get there. Yeah. You know, I'm happy to help you if you want, but I'm not going to push it. And I learned that a lot from my ex-wife. I credit her with that a lot. She, um, you know, I was constantly trying to make everything better and constantly trying to be the, the, the fixer. And what I realized is that you can't fix other people, right? I... I when I quit drinking, I never had, I don't think I ever had a problem with alcohol per se. So no one ever told me, oh, you should quit, you know. But I had a lot of people come to me and say, hey, man, how'd you do it? I'm trying to get my boyfriend to quit. I'm trying to get my girlfriend to quit. I'm like, that's, you can't. They have to want to do it. And you're never going to be, you know, if, if, if it's, if the alcohol, or the drugs, or whatever, more, prior, more of a priority than you are, it's going to be up to you to leave. You can't make them want something. And I just, that was just like a game changer when I, when well, I finally. Well, I, I think also changing your lifestyle to go to sleep, I guess it goes hand in hand with going to bed by nine o'clock because. If you went to bed at midnight, there'd be that extra three hour. Of course, you're not there. Yeah, so like you're basically avoiding the time that well, the drinking time. Elimination of choice. Mm-hmm. My speaking contract around the world, and I, I have clients ranging from Huawei to American Express, Disney, that I've keynoted for. Um, my contract is around the world is very simple. You will, I will speak. You will pay me this much, and you will pay my expenses. Except in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, there's a rider. Client will only do a twelve thirty keynote. And client is, or speaker will only do a twelve thirty keynote, and speaker does not have to be on the ground from wheels down to wheels up for more than eight hours. I will take a six thirty a.m. flight in New York. I will land or in Newark. I'll land at Vegas at ten thirty in the morning, Vegas time. I'll do twelve thirty keynote. I'll be on a four thirty flight home. If I have to do a morning or evening keynote, um, I have to stay overnight. And if I have to stay overnight by myself, that's twelve hours unsupervised in Vegas. Nothing good is going to come of that. Nothing bad. I'm not going to go and like do anything stupid, probably. But why give myself the opportunity? You know, I, I joke that, and I've said this publicly, and, and any given day I'm, I'm three bad decisions in a row away from being a junkie in the streets. That doesn't mean I have a problem with drugs or I'm, I'm about to steal your wallet, but things tend to line up and they tend to happen. So why give myself the ability to fall into that first problem, right? Why not just avoid that first problem? Don't have that first drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So our final question. Uh, always on these interviews is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? And you can interpret that however you like. First one is if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. That was taught to me by a, an old-time skydiver, like an older guy. And you want to listen to old skydivers because it means they've, if they've been skydiving all their life and they're old, they haven't died, right? And so they obviously have some smarts. You want to listen to them. That was the first thing. Second thing, if you don't like where you are, move. You're not a tree. Mm-hmm. And My wife says that. The third smart woman. The third thing is the oxygen mass theory. Um, you can't help anyone else if you haven't helped yourself first. And it's just in as a as a as a entrepreneur, it's just ridiculously important to take care of yourself. I have lost in 19 years. I've lost three friends in this industry to suicide, and it's fucking stupid. They they just didn't feel like they had anyone to talk to. And I'm like, this is bullshit. We got to change that. So I am such a big believer in self care and taking care of yourself. And you know that might mean going to the gym every morning at 5:30. That might mean getting up at 3 a.m. That might mean Whatever it is, maybe cutting back on pizza, you know, whatever it is, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you're already ahead of the pack, you're smarter, you're faster. The problem is that that gets lonely. Take care of yourself. Talk to people. That's really great. So where can people find out more information on you? My entire life is at shankmen.com. The mastermind I run is at shankminds.com. And the podcast is fasterthannormal.com. You can get shankcast.com? I I have (laughs) shankmart. I'm at Peter Shankman on all the socials. Awesome. Well, Peter, thank you. This has been a real pleasure. Fun. So, my pleasure, guys. Thanks. Want to create more positive leverage in your life? Visit www.getleverage.com to access additional interviews, our blog, and more. Be sure to subscribe to hear a new episode every week. 